0: Well good morning. What an honor to see you socially distanced so beautifully as usual. It's always an honor to be able to worship with you and for those of you online, what a privilege to be able to dive into the to the study of God's word together today. So I have a question for you. Do you ever remember those philosophical questions? They're fun to ask. Is there a rock too big for God to carry? I mean, either way, it seems like God can't win because can God can't make a rock big enough that he can't carry? It's a fun philosophical question. In other words, what that question is getting at is, is there anything that God can't do? The answer is yes. No question. There is something that God cannot do. And... This question, this challenge, this philosophical debate has profound implications on your life and on mine. I'll come back to this and kind of leave that hanging there for a moment for you. We're in the middle of a series in which we're diving into the whole concept of talking with God, connecting with and communicating with God and really how do you pray? Because we need to hear from God right now. There's no question There is crisis all around us. We need to hear the voice of God. So the first week, we saw that God does speak to us. We just have to have ears to listen. Then we learned about the power of silence and solitude and being quiet before the Lord. Last week, we saw that even in the midst of pain, you can hear God speak loudly. Well, today I want to talk about and share with you some... Well, this is a a tough sermon to preach because I'm looking at the blocks that get in the way for all of us to be able to hear God's voice. These are hard sermons because we're going to be looking at some really point-blank verses that just call it out and say, if you do this, you will not hear the voice of God. These are hard sermons to preach and hard sermons to listen to. So I hope you have a teachable and open spirit. and, And to make it in some ways a little bit more, I guess, moldable or pliable, a way to see it more clearly. We're going to use the cross as an illustration of access point to God. The cross is our access to God. What Jesus did on the cross changed everything for us. But there are things that we do that in some ways keep us from, if you will, being close to God. And it's like putting that veil back up that used to be before Jesus he was crucified on the cross and rose again. And that veil that comes up just keeps us from intimacy with hearing God's voice. Uh, let me show you what I mean. I'll just take you through these verses and, and show you these blocks. The, the first one is pretty obvious. If you have lack of faith, it's going to be very difficult to hear God's voice. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say it so clearly. James writes it this way. But when you ask God, when you talk with God in prayer, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave tossed in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to hear anything from the Lord. Wow. I mean, James just calls it out. If you want to hear from God, you need to believe that you're going to hear God speak to you. It's like he's saying the person who prays but really doesn't believe is like the person in the middle of Lake Erie on a stormy day, just blown and tossed by the wind. Whatever wave pushes you, you go in that direction. It's like the person who prays and then Just as they say amen, they get up and disregard anything they just prayed and they start to take the burden on themselves and they do all the work they can to fix it themselves. That's what lack of faith is talking about here. This is a block to the Lord. So when you pray, believe that God hears. Just understand, this is a moment that you're connecting with your creator in a very personal and intimate way. So believe it. And you will have an intimacy and an openness in conversation with God. Uh, There's a second block. This one may feel like Captain Obvious, but sometimes we don't hear from God because we never prayed in the first place. And you, you think, well, yeah, that's pretty obvious. You need, you need to pray to hear God's voice. Again, back to James chapter 4 now. He says it this way. The reason you do not have what you want is that you never ask God in the first place. Again, kind of Captain Obvious. I, I, I prayed. No, you didn't. This is going to sound really bad coming from a preacher, but there are times where I've been called out for, in some ways, I believe very deeply that I have the mind of Christ. And there have been times where I literally am trying to figure out, why didn't this happen? And somebody will just say, well, did you even ask? I'm like, well, well, God knows my mind. He knows what I want. And this is fascinating because you even look at how Jesus words it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, your heavenly father knows what you want before you even pray. So you could quote that and everybody's just, well, that kind of settles it. If your heavenly father knows what you want before you even pray, then why even pray? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, he says, God already knows. Have you ever even shared that in your own mind? You kind of played that script in your mind and you say, well, he already knows, so, so why pray? Well, did you notice how Jesus said it? He actually was saying, before you pray. So he assumes you're still going to pray. Why? Because prayer reminds you your position in this world. When you pray, you're admitting, you're acknowledging the fact that you are not God. And so Pray. Even if you know God already knows what you need because there's an intimacy there that God is trying to form with you. So if you don't pray, that's a very obvious answer. It's going to block you from intimacy with God. And so pray. There's a third one. Uh, This one is interesting because James, again, back to James's writing, improper motive. Will block us from intimacy and connection with God. James says it this way the very next verse after what we just saw. We just saw chapter 4, verse 2. Look at verse 3. Even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive was wrong. You only wanted what will give you pleasure. You only wanted what you wanted because, let's admit it, we're selfish. Humans equal agenda. We are prone to have agendas. Some of us, I don't want to call this out personally one-on-one, but I bet there's some of us who come to church. We tune in online for the sole purpose of trying to appease God because we have an agenda. Maybe God will see me watch the sermon and sing some songs and then I'll get what I want. (laughs) James says, God knows your motive. He knows what's going on in your heart. That's why I love the Lord's Prayer. I love it. How Jesus calls it so beautifully to our, to our attention. Not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a beautiful prayer. To remind us of the beauty of being able to say, God, can, can you check my heart because it's very likely that my motives are getting in the way of intimacy with you. Just think about the last several times you've prayed. Have they been self-serving prayers? Dear God, just help us in this hour of need. And I wonder from God's perspective if God's goal is intimacy with you. I mean, you, all you have to do is look at the bloodstained cross to realize God would go to any lengths to get intimacy and closeness with you. And if the only time he hears from you is when you're just saying, Lord, I'm back again. The last time I prayed was a month ago when I was in another crisis. Can you help me out again this time, pal? And you may not say it so flippantly, but your heart certainly screams in that direction. You see, God wants your intimacy. He wants your, your life. And so that's why I love when Jesus teaches us to pray, it starts off, God, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, it's not about my agenda. It's about your agenda first. You see, God, when, when I connect with you first, you then, Lord, have a, the, the blessing of pouring your perspective into me. Imagine if we started our prayers with a sense of, Lord, can you first check my heart? Because I'm, I'm prone to wander, and Lord, I feel it. I'm asking God, will you just clean my heart first, and I'll just listen And and I'll just be still, and God just cleanse me. And before you know it, you're going to find yourself praying in an entirely different direction than what you were praying before. Because improper motive clearly blocks us from that intimacy and closeness with God. It it just does. How is your heart's motive when you pray? Only you know it. And maybe you don't even know it. And so that's why so beautifully illustrated, the Lord just calls us to that place of saying, God, just take my heart and have it. And then you tell me how to pray. Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit will pray for you when you don't even know how to pray. Lord, just guide me. Take me to where you want to take me in this prayer. And you know what is best, so you just guide me. And I will listen, and I I will Follow your lead to check that motive that may be very well impure. Gimme, 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 God, right? Leads to another one. And now we start to meddle. These first three were quite easy to call it out. This one, really obvious, unconfessed sin. There's no question, you have sin. An imperfect being cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. And so, unconfessed sin separates you from God. It it just does. There are some really hard verses around this. Uh, Listen to this one. Isaiah 59, when he was talking to his children, the children of Israel, he writes this, Your sins have cut you off from God. Perfection of God and imperfection of humanity cannot coexist. Your sins have cut you off. Because of your sin, God has turned away and will not listen to your prayers. Again, you see why I was dreading preaching on this sermon because it's so easy to look at this and say, well, my goodness, I'm, I always have things that I do wrong. Is God that fickle that He just turns His back on me? It's not about God. It's about the the problem of you turning from God. God never turned from you. But God can't hear someone who's filled with all the darkness of sin. we got to call it out. Psalms, the psalmist said it this way in 66, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I let sin be the center of my heartbeat... I long for whatever it is, selfishness, greed, gossip, trying to beat somebody down with popularity, and I, I'm better than this person, and I have more likes than you do, and I've got more followers than you do, and it's about me, 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 me. God says, how can I listen to that? You're all about you. You're just trying to build up your kingdom. You see, the Apostle Paul looked at all of this, and, and when he was writing the Scriptures, he, he really called it out, and he said, but God is so filled with grace. God wants to take your sin because of what Jesus did on the cross and and set you free and reshape you into his image. And and so he said he'll give you amazing grace. Just repent. That's what repentance means, to turn from your sin. Go toward another direction and follow me. Confess your sin. Go in another direction. That's why then Paul writes this. What then shall we say? Shall we keep sinning that we'll get more grace? That grace will abound? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. We no longer live in sin. In other words, what he's saying there is that when you become a Christ follower, your identity changes fundamentally. And to understand, I I hear this a lot from Christ followers, and I've called this out before, and I'll probably call it out again and again and again. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. No, if you're a Christ follower, Jesus now has covered you and made you through his grace perfect. In other words, you become now a saint. You don't have to do miracles to become a saint. The scriptures say you become a saint who now occasionally stumbles and sins. Your identity is no longer sinner. Your identity is a child of God. Do you understand the, dr- the dramatic shift that happens in a person when they become a Christ follower? That's why it's so tragic when you have a, a someone who doesn't who follows Christ who doesn't repent of their sin and doesn't walk in the ways of God. Their identity has been fundamentally changed, and and so when you sin and, and you say, "But I still don't want to hear from God," it it just breaks relationship. It's so deeply troubling. So that's why I just say, Lord, thank you for making me a child of God. Thank you for purifying me and making me holy before you that I can have access to your throne because of what Jesus did for me. It's an amazing gift. So Lord, don't let me cast all of that blessing away and run after sin. And then I love the question. Now Paul just calls it out. He says, what, should we then sin so we get even more grace and become even more rescued? Look at how rescued I've been from sin. No, by no means. Live in your identity. Don't let your sinful nature crawl back up and try to crucify your resurrected being. Live for me, says the Lord. Confess sin when it happens. And it keeps you from being separated in intimacy with God. And there, there's another one. And this one is very painful, I understand. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can so quickly sabotage the heart between us and God. Here's how he calls it out. In, in Mark, these words are spoken so clearly. Mark 11, and when you stand praying, Jesus says, if you hold anything against anyone, go and if you hold anything against them and don't forgive them, so your heavenly Father may then forgive your sins. Go and ask for forgiveness. Then your heavenly Father will offer you that same forgiveness. He goes on in other places, Jesus so clearly, if you don't forgive your brother, how can God forgive you? The same measure that, of grace that's been poured out to you, Paul says, should be poured onto others. Why, why would you not give the same grace to other people when they do it to you? In other words, when you hold a grudge, you could very well be sabotaging your intimate prayer life with God. It could be a block for you. And I know when I talk about forgiveness, it brings up so much pain. I I understand that. I know how deeply we wound one another in this world. I get it. But I want to be really clear. Forgiveness is a command of God. Trust is not... Trust has to be earned. God doesn't command you, go out there and trust everyone. I think people believe that if I forgive this person, I have to now just be best friends with them again and everything will be well. And you know deep down there's no way you can trust that person. Well, God doesn't tell you to trust them. He says, be as wise as a serpent. Be wise in how you handle relationships. Sometimes you need to shake the dust off your feet and say, I can't trust this person. But it doesn't mean that I won't forgive them. You see, forgiveness is giving up the right to get revenge. I'm going to stop trying to hurt you. You know you haven't forgiven someone, when all you do when you think about them is hope they're tripping up in life or you're finding ways to hurt them aggressively. If in your heart you hear this person that you're frustrated with or don't have forgiveness toward, they start to stumble and their life starts to fall on hard times and you start laughing, hmm, that might mean you still haven't forgiven that person. You see, forgiveness is giving up the right to get revenge and to say, God, they're yours. But I don't have to fully trust them until they have come back and repented and re-earned that trust over time. But some of us confuse those, and so we think, oh, I have to forgive as a Christian. That just means I have to be lolly, you know, buddy, buddy, buddy with them again. No, no. But don't let it, because unforgiveness only hurts you. And I promise you, it's a block between you and intimacy with your creator. And if you want intimacy with God, this may be the very reason you are here today. To hear God say, give that person to me. Give that person to me right now. Because I know they've hurt you. Let me deal with them. Because frankly, God's judgment is always better than yours and always harsher. With one who has harmed a little child, Jesus said it would be better for them to put a millstone, which is a big boulder rock that crushes grain, and put it around your neck than to, and dive into the deepest ocean than to face my wrath. If someone has hurt you, give them to God. He'll, he'll bring the proper kind of judgment, the, the judgment that leads to repentance, we hope, which then leads to a brokenness that leads to healing, which could lead to a healthy relationship for you and them eventually. But if you don't deal with it, it'll hurt your relationship with connecting with God. Here's another complicated one. Lack of obedience. If you've been with us before, you've heard me say on different occasions that when God speaks, if you don't listen and obey quickly, you're going to make up all the excuses why not to obey. But he, he lays out all sorts of Scripture. I'll just give you three real quick, but you can find other places in Scripture. Look at this one, Proverbs twenty-one thirteen. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. It's a crazy complicated verse. If you know of a need and you don't help to some way meet that need, how can God meet your need if you know you're supposed to go help them? Or, or this one. This is, these are two verses put together in Deuteronomy 28. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, so if you don't obey the laws of God that I'm giving you today, this is complicated, all the curses will come upon you and overtake you. And this is where it gets really messy. Uh, the sky over your head will be like bronze and the ground beneath you will be like iron. What is he saying there? If you don't obey God's voice when he speaks to you, he's going to say, well, that's like a parent speaking to a child and say, hey, come on over here, come on over here. And the kid just disobeys and keeps doing what they want to do. That relationship is being strained. God is saying, if I speak to you, I hope that you'll obey me. And if you don't obey me, then it's going to be like, you're going to feel like we don't have connection because the connection will be hurt. Your sky will be like bronze and your ground will be like iron. You're going to feel like you're in a box. I mean, have you ever felt like, every time I pray, I just feel like my prayers just hit the ceiling. What am I doing wrong? It's very possible that you've been just ignoring the promptings of the Spirit. God tells you to love that enemy of yours. God tells you to obey this person over here. We're living through this right now in the pandemic. Every church in America is trying to figure out how do we obey God and our convictions and obey the government. Romans 13 says, obey your government. So what do you do? So next week, we have the August 30th. We've been so excited to have an outdoor gathering. And then we find out you can't have more than 50. And we're like, what do we do? Do we obey the government? Do we disobey and say, wait a minute, we can have up to 400 in McKinley and uh, the hundreds in the other campuses. We can have more people indoors. That's more dangerous than outdoors. That makes no sense to me. So we have all these debates and we say, what is God calling us to? Well, we have to obey what God says. And so how do you obey the government when you're so frustrated with the decisions that are being made? There's so much tension that everybody's feeling right now. So we say... When God says, obey, you obey. And the the scriptures say clearly, obey your government. If they're not sinning and doing something that's contrary to God's word, then we, so that's why we canceled the outdoor event. Because we knew then the community would see people driving down the road, see three, four, five hundred people outdoors and be like, whoa, that's way, get a snapshot of that. Now we're on Twitter and you get all this Instagram stuff and there's so much tension around and everything. And well, that ha- so we made the decision, let's just keep our services as normal for next week, which is frustrating. But we'll have baptisms and celebrate here and celebrate at the other campuses and that'll be great. In the future, we'll find ways to honor uh, the decisions that are uh, the authority above us and God, okay, you tell us, you put these people in place, then we're going to trust you in this. So we did that, and then this week we find out we have a car show that's been happening every Thursday, the cruise-in, which has been so much fun. Socially distanced, it's been great, and we've, but we've had more than 50 people that have gathered for those, and somebody drove by, and they called the health department, and they came, and they said, hey, you got to shut us down, and so, and so we have to obey again, and so we had to shut down the cruise nights that have been happening on Thursday. It's been so much fun. It's so frustrating, Everything in me wants to fight. I've got this rebellious spirit in me saying, this is ridiculous. This makes no sense. But God, you've already made it clear. I need to be respectful of those that are in authority. And so at the same time, God, help us navigate these waters. we That's a small example of the hundreds of moments of question in your spirit every day. Should I obey? Should I obey this? Should I forgive that person? Should I take this step of... Being generous with this person. Should I should I let this other person get the credit at work, even though I want to get the credit because I did more work? And God says, just just love them, do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. Just be kind. You hear a still small prompting in your in your mind, and you're like, Oh, God, that can't be you because that's way too kind. That's way too kind. That's no fair. This is not fair. And God says, just show them grace. Love on them. Do you obey? Because if you just keep doing your own thing, doing your own thing, God says, why would I speak to you? You don't even obey anything that I tell you to do. It's easy to obey when you agree with everything God says, but what happens when God tells you to do something you don't want to do? Well, it could be a block. It could be. It leads to this seventh one. Insincere words. Insincere words. Look at how the scriptures say this. This is Jesus talking and sharing in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, um, listen to this. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people in other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again and again. I love this because it shows, the, it's kind of, it shows the emotion of God. It's like God saying, don't nag me. Stop nagging me. <laughs> you don't have to keep blah, 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 blah. You think by your many words, you're just going to get my attention. But what Jesus here is showing us is that God calls us out. Kind of it goes back to, I guess in some ways, the improper motive. Sometimes if we just pray to show off. Sometimes we pray to get what we want in pure motive. Sometimes we pray just to really, everybody will see how eloquent I am of speech. That's what Jesus is getting here within his words. And so he's saying, "Your insincere words. God just can, it really comes back to the motive. He sees what's going on in your heart. Don't just babble on and on again. It's showing off in these ways, which leads... To this last one. And uh, this one I I told my wife, because she watches online uh, with my young son at home, and um, I told her, you just turn it off during point eight. You just turn it off, okay? And so, honey, turn it off. Here we go. Number eight. This is in the scriptures. Disrespecting your spouse. It's the word, the Bible talks about it. Disrespecting your spouse can hinder your prayers with God. What? Here it is. Husbands, in the same way, this is 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Other translations say if you don't treat your spouse the way that they deserve to be treated, your prayers will not be heard. It lays it out. Peter is so clear. If you can't handle earthly relationships, it is showing disrespect here. How can you expect that that's not going to be a block between you and God? And so for some of us, this might be the only thing you need to hear today and all the rest, you're like, I'm getting all these right. I'm getting all these right. So you look at this list and say, okay, well, what about like the disrespecting spouse? I, man, but they annoy me so frequently, and I, how am I not supposed to be mad at them for what they did? And they leave their socks in the wrong places, and they don't do the dishes when they say, and they're so lazy in this way. And I, God, are you telling me I'll never hear your voice? Like, you can look at this list, and you can just say, well, no wonder why I feel so much guilt, condemnation, Shame. No wonder why I feel like I talk to God and it just feels like the sky is bronze. This is daunting. It's a horrible list. It just seems impossible. Like, where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the grace? I don't, I don't get it. And I could go on. I mean, these were just 11 or 12 different verses that combine into this and to make this nasty-looking wall of blockades between us and prayer connecting with God. I could go on and on. There's tons of examples of sin that separates us and brokenness that separates us. But did, what do you do with this? Well, it, it really goes back... To what I talked about in the beginning with that philosophical question Is there anything that God cannot do? Really? My answer was yes, there is something that I promise you God cannot do. And it has everything to do with the hopelessness you may feel looking at this list. Because I could add other verses and we could look at a whole variety of different topics that cause us to stumble before the Lord in connecting and intimacy. So what is the one thing God cannot do? Well, it's the one thing I want you to, anytime you think about lists like this, anytime you look at a wall where you say, I feel separated from God, I want you to remember the one thing that I promise you God cannot ever do. God cannot stop loving you. That's impossible for God. If you were to add another 100 boxes, it would still be impossible for God to stop adoring you. And I think that's where we stumble between all the lists of sin in Scripture and the feeling that we have toward God. Because it just seems so counterintuitive that God could love us when we look at this list. But he can't stop. He really loves you. And when that sinks in, it changes how you respond when you see a list like this. You see, if you don't feel loved by God, you're going to feel like, See, I told you it's impossible to connect with God. So I'm not going to have faith anymore and I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live for all that I want to live for and I'm going to be just fine. And then your life stumbles and bumbles all the way through and then you kind of have all these problems. And then you become an angry, bitter person. All the while, all you needed to know, God adores you no matter what is here this day. And when you realize that, everything changes. You know, the Apostle Paul, he called himself the chief of sinners. He was the chief of sinners. I mean, he murdered Christians. And then he wrote these words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, powers nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation nothing will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus you can't ever do anything that stops god from adoring and loving you which then that means when i look at this list there's only one thing god asks of me look back to him We could call it repentance. Lord, forgive me for all of these things. Remember what I said earlier about unconfessed sin? When you repent, you go in another direction. And here's what's so good. God isn't asking you to do better. Figure life out better. Live better. Yeah, of course, we want to live better. Of course, he wants that from you. But that's not how this gets fixed. You can try to earn your way back to God, but what happens is when God he loves you so much that when you look back to him, Jesus through his infinite grace and infinite mercy literally does the work of knocking these boxes away. It's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who wants to take all of this and crush it out of your life. But you realize in all of this we're so afraid of giving up control. Because there's something about when you have lack of faith even. It's so much easier to put your box back here and start to put the walls up because it's a whole lot easier to stay in control of your life and say, I just don't believe in God. All the while, God just still loves you and it breaks the heart of God when you're afraid to let him take control of these walls that you keep putting up. And so he says, I love you anyway. I still love you. Look at me, he says. Just look at me. I'll speak to you. So as you look at this list today, as you think through, what has it been for the, what has it been that's been just kind of feeling like there's a disconnect between me and God? If it's been about your spouse, then find healing in that. Jesus, help, help me in this if it's insincere words because you want to show off to other people, if it's simply not praying, then just start praying. Start talking to him. You do it, and I promise you, he's going to push this away, and he's going to say, I hear you. I hear you. You don't have to be eloquent with your words. You don't have to have all of the, the theological prowess. You just have to say, Jesus, I want to look at you. I want to know you. Because frankly, this world is lost. lost literally lost without you. So Lord, if this sin of mine that has been controlling me for so long is causing a wall between me and you, Jesus, just knock it down for me today. Just get it out of here. Set me free. I know of nothing else I can do right now for the power of what God wants to do in you than to pray over you. If you're online and you're distracted by whatever, just put that distraction away and let's just be present with God for, for this powerful moment of no walls, no walls between us and God. His mercies are made new every day. I don't care if this week has been the worst behaving week of your life, this moment can be the fresh start that you've been longing for with intimacy, hearing from your God. So let's pray together. Lord, I am so sorry for the walls that I build up that go contrary to intimacy with you. And I pray for any soul right now that feels the same. If it's even one of these blocks, God, crush it in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. We know that you've spoke this world into existence by your spoken word. I pray that you speak that kind of life and create new worlds of creation for us, giving us your identity, giving us your completeness in the power of what Jesus wants to do in intimacy with us today. And so I pray for relationship to get stronger and stronger and stronger. I pray for whatever it is that's been hindering our walk with you. God, just crucify it, destroy it, and never let it be resurrected. Because of your power, God, I believe this prayer has such incredible anointing. Because of what you've done on the cross and rising again, you have given us new life and new identity, new freedom that this world is longing for. And so I thank you for the intimacy that comes from repentance I thank you for the intimacy that comes from looking at you and longing for more of your anointing and life in our lives. So fill us to overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit with every breath that we take. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen and amen.